Awesome, awesome. Man, thank you guys so much. You give a high five to somebody as you sit down today. Exciting, so excited, excited. Do I got any happy people in the room? It's almost Christmas, come on. We've made it, we're here. It's exciting times. You know, I know Pastor Brandon and KJ shared about our volunteer Sunday that's gonna happen next week. And so this is, like they said, a chance for us to really just thank our volunteers. So many people serve week in and week out um, just to do what we do every single Sunday to, to lead the different groups that we have, the kids ministry, the band that gets here at like six o'clock in the morning and make sure everything's set in place and is here all day long. But also to a, to a pastor who even conscientiously thinks about taking time off for us like that and thinks about leading the church in such a way where to give us some Sabbath and breaks and rhythms. So can we give it up for Pastor Brandon and Katie for all the ways they lead us? Appreciate so much. Awesome. Well, hey, I'm excited. I get to continue a series today um, called Different. And today I'd like to talk a little bit about a change of plans. And so I don't know about you, but a lot of times, I, even though I know Christmas is on the calendar, how many know it just sneaks up on you randomly, right? And like you can know, you can be prepared for it, but it starts to change up your flow a little bit. It changes up what the week's gonna look like. You, part of you is ready for, for it. Part of you can't wait till it passes and you can move on to the new year. And, and so I, I want you to know that the first Christmas event was probably a little bit like that too came out of nowhere was a little bit of a change up and a change of plans. So today I want to talk a little about what happens when our life is interrupted and things don't go according to the way that we plan them. In fact, I want to take a quick poll. Where are all my planners in the room? If you're a planner, raise your hand. Okay. Got a lot of planners in 1115. And so think about this. If you're a planner, right? So you, all your Christmas shopping, it was probably done by the end of the summer, maybe the beginning of fall, right? And um, for those of you that haven't done any Christmas shopping yet at all, not only are you not planners, but you also shouldn't be here because you're too late. And so Christmas is here. I know there's still people out there going crazy, making sure they get all their shopping done. And so the truth is this, is whenever we have these plans, no matter if you're a planner or you're not a planner, every single one of us has a plan that we want to put into motion. We have an idea of what the future is going to look like. And when plans change, when we have interruptions, when we have things kind of throw a curveball at us, life throws a curveball out of us, a lot of times it can rattle us. It can shake us up. It can jar us, if you will. And so I'm not sure if you're in a season right now of change, if you're going into a season of change, or if you're coming out of a season of change, but all of us at some point have been rattled by an abrupt change in our schedule and our flow in our life, so much so that it's rattled our faith and even at times calls us to ask God the question, where are you in all of this disruption? Where are you in all this interruption? I thought things were supposed to go this way when really they're going that way. Today, what I'd like to do is look into the story of Christmas. I want to look at Luke and the account that Luke gives us of the Christmas story and also look into Matthew, the account, and see how the interruption and the change of plan that they had affected their lives. So if you would, let's turn to Luke chapter one. We're going to look at this here. Verses 26 and 35, this is the moment Mary realizes her change of plans and what was about to take place in her life. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. 
He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. Let's pray together this morning over these words. God, we thank you so much for your word, for it guides us into all truth. We thank you, God, that we have scripture because it's really the self-revelation of who you are. We get to understand the nature of God, why you've done the things that you've done and chose to do the things that you did, Lord. And I pray that even as we read passages that maybe we've known about or heard about time and time again, that, God, you would just illuminate some new things to us, some fresh things to us, God. Be with us, Lord, for those who are maybe in a season of change right now, going into a season of change or coming out of a season of change. God, I pray that they would anchor their heart and their mind, even in the uncertainty of life, into who you are and that you're a God that's for us, God, not a God that's against us, a God that's not surprised by any of the circumstances or details of our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning you would speak to us. We ask you in the great name of Jesus, and we all said, amen. Amen. When you look at the Christmas story, you realize that just in a few short paragraphs, you have encompassed into that time frame about a year or a year and a half of the story. And so it's almost as if someone said to you, hey, I want you to write about 2019 as it comes to an end, but you can only use three paragraphs to describe all the things that happened. Truth is, is we'd probably leave some details out. And as I read the scriptures, as I read the Bible story, I begin to get curious about certain things that maybe weren't in the Bible. Certain things like how did Mary and Joseph actually meet, right? Like they had to have met, they've had to have like this dating time or this time where they liked each other. And I, and I oftentimes think that maybe they met in a very similar way to how I met my wife, Bridget. I was about 13 years old and um, I met Bridget at a youth event. In fact, I liked this girl and she invited me to her youth group. Her name was Liz and it was a roller skating rink. That's when people still went to roller skating rinks back in the day. And so I went to this youth event and it was there that I met Bridget. Bridget was a friend of Liz and we were roller skating and she wanted to check out Liz's guy that she had brought, make sure he was a good guy. And Bridget came and skated up next to me and we were talking and one thing led to another. And truth be told, I came to the skating rink with one girl, but I left with another girl. <laughs> and... <laughs> and so, and that's a true story, I'm telling you. It is, it's a true story. And the truth is, is like, we start off really young and our parents were at this place where like, hey, we don't want you to date, but you can like each other and you can maybe write letters or some people didn't have cell phones. And I feel like I'm super old, but the truth is, is I'm getting up there, okay? We had instant message and we had writing letters to each other and all this kind of stuff that maybe nobody does nowadays, but that was how we started our relationship. And it wasn't until I was about 15 years old when Bridget and I were able to go on our first date together. In fact, I got a picture of that to show you. This is a picture. Uh, yes, that is actually me. I know Bridget looks exactly the same. You got me rocking my frosted tips. Thought I was a Backstreet Boy, because that was the era. <laughs> Jersey Shore, thanks a lot, I appreciate that. Man, I do not want to be a short, okay. And so, <laughs> that just threw me off just a little bit. And so, we started this relationship. And you know, when I think about this story, I'm like, man, Mary and Joseph, they were young too, when they met each other, like they're real people. They had their own story. Bridget and I started thinking about the future and we started thinking about, okay, what is this gonna look like? What's that gonna look like? Man, maybe one day we might actually get married. 
we had all these different twists and turns and the plans that we had didn't always happen the way that we thought. Bridget was one, years old, one year older than me and, and so she went to school in Boston and did her undergrad and I went to school in Florida and for five years we did long distance. And time after time we thought things were gonna happen this way and that way all through our life but we come to find out that not everything happened according to our original plan. And when I think about Mary and Joseph, I think about how maybe they met when they were young too. In fact, I wrote down some notes just kind of being a little creative with the story and I was thinking like maybe it was like on a Wednesday night at the synagogue youth group, right, that Mary goes to youth group and she sees this boy Joey off in the distance and, and he's reading from the book of Isaiah and he's just like, she's like, who is this guy? He knows the word of God so well and man, I wonder if he would ever like me. He's a few years older than me, but I wonder if he would ever be into me. And so what happens is the story goes on, right? And Joey actually begins to notice Mary and he is into her. In fact, he's so excited, he wants to ask her out. So he polishes up his sandals, he puts on some squirts of cologne, he gets a nice fade, frosts those tips. He does everything he can to impress Mary. And he asks her on a date for the very first time. And they begin to date each other and they begin to talk about the future and they fall in love and then get engaged. You know, I know this is kind of silly and, and maybe this isn't true in its exactness, okay? But the truth is this, is Mary and Joseph were just like you and me. And a lot of times we can approach the scriptures and we can lose sight of the fact that they were just like us. They wrestled with the same things we wrestled with. They had a change of plans. Curveballs were thrown their way. They felt the same way we felt. They went through emotions the same way that we went through emotions. In fact, even Jesus himself, the Bible says, was not only fully God, but he was also fully man. And he was somebody who can sympathize and empathize even with our own sufferings because he walked on this earth. And a lot of times we can lose sight of this. And so I think of Mary and Joseph and I think they're planning their whole entire life together. This is what it's gonna be like when we get married. And you can even see Joey, right? Joseph is, he's, he's selling all of the different furniture pieces that he can. He's selling his farm tables and his coffee tables. He's saving up for the ring that he could have. I remember the first time it hit me that I had to save up for a ring for my wife, okay? I started my first job at a place called Stu Leonard's. All right, I'm, not, I'm sure nobody in this room knows Stu Leonard's, but if you've ever heard of Tom Leonard's, Tom Leonard's is in the Shore Pump area. It's kind of like they're brothers. One guy's up in New York, the other guy's here in Virginia. And Stu Leonard's was my first job. And I was a cashier, and I didn't really enjoy being a cashier. And one day, they made the announcement, and they said, hey, listen, if anybody wants to make a little extra money, we'd love for you to sign up to be the store mascot. And I didn't know what it was, so I raised my hand. I was like, I'll be the store mascot. I need that extra money. I'm saving up to get my girlfriend a ring because I'm going to ask her to marry me and little did I know that the store mascot was a cow and I had to dress in a cow costume and I had to go to kids parties and I had to do the chicken dance but I racked up that money that I needed and I bought that ring for Bridget you think about Joseph and Mary doing very similar things they're planning their future everything's going according to plan and then there's this major interruption there's this change of plan that takes place that you see in the book of Luke and an angel visits Mary and pretty much says to Mary, Mary, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna give birth to a son. You're, it's gonna be by the Holy Spirit. And that son is gonna be the son of God. If you look over in the book of Matthew, Joseph doesn't have his first encounter through an angel. We don't know if it's through Mary or somebody told him, but he found out that his girlfriend, that his fiance, that the person he was engaged to was pregnant. It says here in Matthew 119, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
So this is before an angel even visits Joseph, and here he is, he's crushed, he's devastated. In fact, they even say here, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he had every right to expose her. He was a strong Jewish man, and he knew in Deuteronomy chapter 22 that if you've committed adultery, you can actually be subject to stoning. And so even though he had the right to actually act out that zeal as a Jewish man, he chose not to because he loved Mary. And so he wanted to do this quietly. But could you imagine Joseph feeling that pain, being like, I thought we were gonna spend our life together, and now here you are pregnant. I don't even understand what's going on, but I feel hurt, I feel broken. Think about Mary recognizing that potentially now her fiance is gonna divorce her, is gonna leave her. She's gonna have to raise a child on her own. She's gonna be a single parent. In fact, back then, engagement was pretty much the same thing as marriage. In order to break off an engagement, it was a divorce. And that was something that was highly frowned upon in that culture. It was in that moment, you can only imagine what Mary and Joseph were processing with this big change that came their way. I don't know about you, but maybe you can relate to a change of plans in your own life. Maybe things have been happening a certain way and you've been preparing for the future in such a way, but then different things started to come into the equation. You know, I'm a person that loves to know that A plus B always equals C, and when it doesn't, sometimes I can be a worst-case scenario thinker. Any worst-case scenario thinkers in the room, right? Some of you, right? Like, it just can get so out of control that everything's just gonna fall apart because this one thing didn't line up the way that I thought it would. Maybe you're in this room right now and you're processing life. Maybe you've been doing well and you've gotten ahead financially, but then there's been some car repairs, some home repairs that have caused your Christmas to look a little different because it had to take money out of your bank account. Maybe you're in this room and you've raised your kids in such a strong way, you've raised them the right way, but now they're growing and they're making decisions contrary on the way that you've ever raised them to be. Maybe you're in here and you're like, I didn't plan on battling depression. I didn't plan on fighting cancer. I didn't plan on experiencing loss around the Christmas season. If you've had a change of plans, you don't understand what's going on, I want you to know that God does. In fact, I wrote this down this week and I think it's really important is this, is you don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. You don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. There's been many situations in my life where maybe I might have disagreed with that or maybe even looked at that and said, you know what, I don't even wanna hear that. But I've been through some seasons in my own life. I know I've only been married 12 years and I've had three kids and I know I have a whole lot more life to live. But I've been through some seasons where I thought things were supposed to happen the way that I planned and they didn't and I questioned God why. Why didn't it go according to plan? A lot of times that can rattle your faith. You can say, why isn't it happening this way? But I've learned through the years to recognize what Proverbs 19.21 says so well. It says this, it says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that actually prevails. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's God's, excuse me, many are the plans, but it's God's purpose that prevails in our life. No matter how many plans you've had, no matter if you thought it was supposed to be this way or go that way, or I've calculated it to be this way and that way, what I've really understood is this, is God has a purpose for my life. God has a purpose for your life. I used to think when I was getting ready to go into college or when I was getting ready to be married and figure out what my first job was, thinking all the time like, well, if I make the wrong decision, if I go to the wrong school or if I make the wrong job choice or what if I move to Virginia and it doesn't work out for me, I used to think about all these things as if if I make the wrong move, I'm gonna completely change the purpose that God has for me. If you're in the room today, I want you to understand this. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's God's purpose that prevail. 
What this has said to me is this, and I want you to hear it this morning. It means God doesn't have a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And he has many ways to get you to that purpose. And it's so true. Many ways to get you to that purpose. God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste our pain. He doesn't waste our mistakes. He uses all of those things for his purpose. And so Joseph hears these plans and he's wrecked, he's shattered. Mary is confused. They don't know what's going on. And Matthew 120, this is what happens after he was considering those things. It says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph begins to hear a little piece of the purpose that God has for him. He realizes that this is true. And the next verse that you see in 21 kind of gives you the purpose of why this was happening in their life. It says, she'll give a birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You know, think about this reality. Even though that now they're understanding that this was a part of the plan, it is still something they had to live with. It's still something they had to walk with. It's still something that they knew that they were carrying on their shoulders. And I think about Joseph being in that moment, being like, God, why would you even pull me into this? Why would you allow this to happen? Why am I the carrier of this? Why is this happening to me? And I can think about Isaiah 55 and Joseph hearing this because he knew it so well. Him, God saying to him, Joseph, listen, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I wrote this down this week as I was just kind of mulling over this. If we understand everything that is going on in our Christian life, if we can explain where we are in the journey all the time, then we've actually reduced God to our size. You know, I've learned that I have to leave parts of my life tucked away in mystery so that I have reasons to trust. Because if I always know the answer, if I always know the why, then there's no point to have enduring faith. A faith that perseveres. A faith that has to rely on the Father and not on my own logic and my own understanding. But a faith that leans time and ten on him. Because the truth is, and all of us in this room have plans. We all have plans, and there's nothing wrong with having a plan. In fact, it's important to be calculative. It's important to plan things out. But I want you to know, even though we all have plans, God has a purpose. And his purpose will always prevail. In fact, today I want to leave you with three things just to look at from this story. How do we actually apply this? How do we hold on to this? When there's been an interruption in your schedule, when there's been a change of plan in your life, when you've had to move, when you've experienced loss, when you've experienced anything that kind of rattles your faith a little bit, how do we respond to this? Here's the first thing I want you to see through the conversation the angel had with Mary is this. Number one is the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. He's with you. And this is so important for us to wrap our minds around because a lot of times when we're jarred through an interruption, through a change of plans, it's easy to lose sight of a God who is actually with us. In fact, this is the whole word of Manuel that we see as God is given to us as a human flesh. He was fully God and fully man. We hear this word that he will be called Emmanuel, which is a God who's with us, a God who understands us, a God who's not seated so far away from us in the heavenly realms, just looking back on us whenever we mess up or do the right thing, but he's a God that's in the dirt with us. He's a God that's in the trenches with us. He knows every detail of your life, every intricacy, every change of plan, and nothing surprises him. This is a God who's with us. And a lot of times we can lose sight of that. In fact, all through scripture, we see this common denominator. Even leading back to the 
Israelites first fleeing Egypt, they were told this great promise, you are gonna be freed and you're gonna go into a land that's promised to you. And so here they are, they leave Egypt, they climb on out of Egypt, they go and the first circumstance they hit, the first obstacle they hit is the Red Sea. And all of a sudden they forget everything about what was told to them. And they're like, why would you bring us out here? Because now we're just gonna die. We have an impossible sea in front of us and we have a pursuing army behind us. God, where are you in this changeup? Because I thought we were supposed to be here, but now we're here. Moses responds to the Israelites that say, you need only to be still for the Lord will fight for you. You know, some of you in the room may have experienced some changes, even in the last few months, in the last few weeks, or even in the last year of 2019. Maybe you've forgotten that God is with you, that nothing surprises him, that there is no change up, there is no job loss, there is no, no medical diagnosis, there's none of these things that can happen in our life that shocks God. He's a God that knows. He's a God that's with us. He's a God that's close to the brokenhearted. Whatever the circumstances in your life, you have to know that God is with you because I tell you, there's something powerful in knowing that the Lord is with you. There's a confidence uh, um, that shifts, a boldness as a believer. There's almost like this reliance on God that happens when we recognize that he's with us. And let me tell you, it takes the weight off your shoulders. The weight of the future, the weight of what is to come, so the angel says to Mary, the first thing when she hears about this interruption, she's, he says to Mary, listen, hold off for one second because I know you're about to be rattled, but I want to hit you with this. The Lord is with you. You're not going to carry this on your own. You're not carrying this alone. You're not walking this life alone. Whatever's to come is not about you, but it's about God's purpose and he's with you. Not only does the angel say the Lord is with you, but you also see in the next verse here in verse 30, the angel says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. So not only is the angel saying the Lord is with you, but here's the second thing I want you to write down today. The angel is saying to her, do not be afraid. Look, what you're about to hear, what you're about to walk into is going to incite a lot of fear in your life. I understand that. But the angel is saying, I don't want you to be afraid. And a lot of times when you hear this, this is where you might get a little hung up on because I know sometimes I do. But I've realized that fear is something that we need to look at very differently. Fear doesn't mean that you don't mourn. Fear doesn't mean that it won't hurt if there's things in your life that have changed or circumstances that have shifted. It doesn't mean it's not going to be confusing. In fact, some fear is okay. It's actually healthy to have fear. It's a natural human response. You should have a healthy fear of stepping in front of an automobile, right? You should know that you shouldn't do that. My kids should know not to touch the stove because it's hot. They're gonna have a healthy fear of that. But I want you to know there's another kind of fear it's called the spirit of fear. And it's not from the Lord. In fact, the word warns us in 2 Timothy 1.17, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so what that means is whatever you're walking in right now or maybe walking into or walking out of, the Lord is saying to us, do not be afraid for I am with you. The fear I'm talking about, the spirit of fear that I'm talking about is one that paralyzes what, us. It's a fear that steals our joy. It steals our peace. It's a fear that keeps us from doing what God has called us to do. And it's extremely important to us to recognize that this fear is a tool of the enemy. And this enemy wants to get right in here and mess with our thinking. Because this happened, now this is gonna happen. And because that happened, now this is gonna happen. And check it out, because you messed up over here, now you've rewritten the story that God has written for you. And you've messed up so badly that you cannot be redeemed anymore. 
And the enemy goes on and on and plays this narrative in our head. And so not only are we fearing, but sometimes our fear turns into anger and we begin to point at God and say, God, why would you let this happen to me? Because now all these other things are gonna happen because you've created a different narrative, one that's very different than the one God has been writing all along. It's important for us to know that even when we don't understand the plan, we must trust that God has a purpose. Think about Mary and Joseph. Now here they are, they're traveling and they have baby Jesus. He's born in a manger and everything is glorious and amazing and they're so excited. They're like, we did it. Now he's here. It's gonna be glorious and this is what's gonna happen. He, we're gonna establish, um, he, Jesus can establish his kingdom here on earth and we're gonna sit rich like kings and queens and it's gonna be amazing. The day has finally come but the truth is this, is it was not like that at all. In fact, in the next chapter you find out that King Herod had a decree over the entire region that he was gonna kill all the kids two and under. And so now Joseph and Mary are on the run. They're living in what you would think would be a fear of death. They have to protect this child. And so this is how the Christmas story continues on. And I can't even imagine the questions that maybe Mary and Joseph had for God in that moment. But I will tell you this. I believe with all my heart that Mary and Joseph recalled the things God said to them. And now whenever we're in a season of doubt or a season of uncertainty, let me tell you this. You have to recall what God has spoken to you. You know, one of the best ways to do that is, is through his word. I know in seasons that I've experienced uncertainty and seasons where I thought one job was gonna work out this way, but then it didn't and it worked out that way or what was I gonna do because I just had a son and this is my first time ever being a parent, but now I'm in this season of life when I thought I was supposed to move here and move there and I've had countless stories that I won't go into just for the sake of time, but I've had seasons in my life where I've said, God, why would you ever let me go down this path? Why wouldn't you have stopped me? Did I not hear you right, God? Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I haven't listened to you well enough. And it's in those seasons that what I want to actually do is push this away because it's confusing. But I've learned that it's in those seasons that I actually have to pull him closer because he's a motion-sensitive God. And when we actually take a step to him, even in the hurt and in the pain and the uncertainty and in the confusion, we have this great promise that as we draw near to God, he draws near to us. The first thing the enemy wants you to do when you have that interruption, that change of plan, is he wants you to push away from God when God actually wants you to pull closer. So no matter what that change, that interruption is in your life, I want you to hear what the angel says to Mary, don't be afraid, because the Lord is with you. Not only do we see that God is with us and that we're not supposed to fear, here's the last thing I want you to see, and it's this. It's that we have to learn to trust the process. If you look on in Luke it actually says right here in Luke 1, 34 through 35, Mary's response was this. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? This is an impossibility. How is this going to take place? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the only one to be born will be called the Son of God. I don't know about you, but this is not easy to do, to trust to wait, to not understand. In fact, it makes me think of Proverbs 3 that says, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all of your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. It says recognition that we don't have all the answers. And when you try to live in such a way to gain all the answers, what you do is, is you actually are leaning on your own understanding and it can drive you crazy. But God calls us to step into the process, to lean into the process. You know, I was recently convicted as I picked up my kids from school. They get in the car. I'm excited to see them. I want to know how their day was. And I'm like, how was your day, boys? 
And immediately they, they like brush it off and like, well, what are we doing next? And where are we going next? And what's happening here? And what's happening there? And it was in one of those moments picking them up that like, I just had this conviction that I do the same thing to God, that I'm ready to rush on to tomorrow. I'm ready to just get to the next thing or I'm ready to just get past the season. I gotta get out of this season into the next season. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times I try to chase after those mountaintop experiences constantly. But let me tell you, there's something interesting about mountaintop experiences. If you're ever on top of a mountain, you realize something about being on top of a mountain. Like there's, there's not a lot of vegetation. The air is kind of hard to breathe. It's a little thin. I mean, it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It's amazing. But here's what doesn't happen on top of the mountain. Things don't grow. It's in the valleys that we experience growth. It's in the valleys that we experience closeness. You know, I think about David, when even when he wrote the famous Psalm, Psalms 23, he starts off saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He goes on and on, but it isn't until he gets to the middle of that chapter that he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And that narrative shifts. It goes from the third person to the Lord is my shepherd to now speaking directly to God in the midst of the shadow. And he says, for you are with me. I want you to know this morning that there's levels of God's presence we can only experience in the shadows. There's a level of his closeness, his nearness that we won't know until we truly have to lean on him and be supported by him. So maybe you're in this room and you're trying to trust the process, but it's been difficult for you. There's a song that I recently started listening to. It's a worship song called Waymaker. I, I love it. It's a great one. If you've ever heard it, you gotta check it out. But the bridge of that song says something really neat. It says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. I want you to know whatever process you find yourself in, you need to know that God's not done. We may have plans, but God has a purpose. In fact, Mary and Joseph go on their whole entire life having snapshots of what this is really all about. They knew they had the Son of God, but they didn't really understand what was taking place. But you know what? God would give them piece by piece by piece. And that's just his nature, right? He doesn't reveal to us the whole puzzle. He kind of takes time with us. But if you fast forward 33 years from the time that Jesus was born, you have Mary now standing on, looking on to a son who's on the cross. There's spikes being driven through his hands and his feet. He's gasping for air, lifting himself up so that he can actually breathe his last breaths. Can you imagine what Mary's thinking in that moment? Like, God, this was the plan? Is this what you had in mind? Why would you allow these things to happen? Why did it turn out this way? You begin to realize that Mary and Joseph, they had a plan, but God had a purpose. In our lives, we may have a plan, but God has a purpose. And you wonder, what was the purpose? Why? And I've realized that the purpose was you. Yeah. The purpose was each and every single one of us. Even though Mary and Joseph had this plan, God had a purpose all along. And that purpose was so that we can be reconciled back to the Father. In fact, if we don't understand what Christmas is all about, it's just gonna be a fun festive holiday for us. But when we truly understand what Christmas is all about, we begin to realize that the reason for the season really is Jesus. And the reason why he came to earth was for us so that we can be reconciled back to the Father. Because when we were still yet sinners, it says that Christ died for us. And that is made available to us each and every day. And Christmas isn't just an event. It's not just something on the calendar. 
Christmas is in each and every single one of us because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Mary and Joseph had a plan, but God had a purpose. Maybe you're in this room and you're in process and you're like, man, if you only knew my story and the truth is, is I have my own story and if it's comforting for you, all of us have a story and all of us are in process. Not one of us is not in process. But even in the moments where you feel like you're not in control or you don't know what's going on, I want you to be reminded that God does and that you may have a plan, but God has a purpose and God's purposes will always prevail. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much, Lord, that even though there's things that we at times feel we understand, you're constantly unpacking them, revealing them to us time and time again. Lord, you're a God that's for us. In fact, it says in Revelation 13 and in 1 Peter that before the foundations of the earth was set, it says that Christ was crucified. Pretty much, God, what that means is that before there was even ever a problem, you had a solution in mind. That you're a God that sees everything. You're not surprised by anything. And that, God, even though we may have plans in place, the truth is your purpose will always prevail. So, God, I pray that even in the moments we don't understand the plan, we would trust that you have a purpose. That's just who you are, that you're a God that doesn't waste anything. And even though the enemy may come and steal and kill and destroy, because those are all his fingerprints, whenever we experience loss or destruction, Lord God, or death, truth is, Lord, you take what the enemy intended for evil and you turn it into good. That's what you do. And so, Father, I pray that as we come to your table today, we would recognize this great truth, that you're a God that's for us, you're a God that loves us, you're a God that came down to this earth, Father. You had a purpose in mind for that, God. And today, we get to stand in right standing with you, Father, because of a relationship with you. And so, I pray for anybody in this room, Lord, who may be struggling right now, who may be working through some things, God, who may be even questioning what their standing is with you, Father. I pray that they would know, Lord, that you know their story, you know their name, God, that they're seen by you, that they're not hiding, God, that nothing can be hidden from you, because you're a God that knows all things. And I pray, Lord, specifically to those individuals in this room that may feel far from you, God. May you come close. We love you and we ask this in your name. Amen. If you would stand with me, we're going to finish with communion. And I, I think this is a really fitting way to end. We do this a lot, but I think especially around the Christmas season, it's very fitting for us to do this because what we understand is that Jesus tells us to do communion in remembrance of him. In fact, he even says, this is my body which was broken for you. This is my blood that was shed for you. And it's important for us to know that Christmas was Jesus coming down and his purpose was for each and every single one of us. And so as you come today to the table, receive this because it's a gift. It's nothing you could have ever done. You'll never be good enough. You'll never have enough but it's a gift that's been given to you. And mo no matter what you're walking into tomorrow, hear this, no matter, no, no matter what you're walking into tomorrow, you're not walking into it alone. There's nothing you should fear, but leaning and trusting on God is the one thing that we can do and should do. And so as we come today, I want you to take of this. I want you to experience all that God has for you as we worship. Let's do that together. <laughs>